You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Susto is an illness attributed to a frightening event that causes the soul to leave the body. It is believed in extreme cases, Susto may result in death. Ritual healings are focused on calling the soul back to the body. Susto is an illness attributed to a frightening event that causes the soul to leave the body. It is believed in extreme cases, Susto may result in death. Ritual healings are focused on calling the soul back to the body. Este canción es para ellos quien se han atrevido a considerar su cuerpo. Nosotros, quien sabe, recordamos al nombre. Se escrito atrás de los párpados. Se llama...
because it calls your name when any real love starts you know because you feel the pain so you go hunting while you hide behind your shield and a second hand
She was a Tiffany earring you find in the sink trap. As soft as fur handcuffs, and yet as sharp as piano wire. She knew wrestling holds and rainy day games I'd never even thought of. And sometimes when I'd least expect it, she'd laugh like a little girl and tell me some bizarre fact like about the two-mile-long sausage in the Guinness Book of World Records. Then I'd know I was heading into serious white water. Some babes like her, and there was no woman like her, really. But I mean with her stretch limo looks. They'd have talked the catwalk, all about shopping sprees in Milan and Dubai. Made sure I knew about the Park Avenue plastic surgeon she kept in a drawer. She told me about her jobs in a pet store and in an agricultural inspection station. Who lies about that kind of thing? And yet she did lie. All the time. One time she said she came from Wisconsin. The land of dairy, she called it. That it was Philadelphia or Baltimore. But she never mentioned any other men. It was like I was the first. Like she was made for me. Every minute with her was a moment when I didn't know what would happen next. She had a fire and forget temper, and yet she was ticklish as hell. And she had a dream. She wanted to be a singer. She sure had some unusual ways of practicing. A real voice, too. Two parts amaretto to one part diesel. Plus attitude. Like a white Millie Jackson. Then one day, she was gone. She could be in Aspen or West Palm Beach. For a long time, I thought she was everywhere. One night after we'd been to the Greyhounds, I asked her how long she'd been tricking. And she looked at me with oozy eyes and said, I don't do tricks. I do magic. figured something bad happened to her or something sad 
It usually does. Dreams never die 
I found myself examining the card McInnes had dropped me. It had an unexpected texture to it. Slippery and sticky all at once. With just a street address on it. Number 4 Erie Street. An address I recognized as being in Cliffhaven. The number and lettering were made of scarves. Colorful silk scarves, neatly curved and arranged. My first thought was that it was some high-class hooker. McKinnis had no doubt heard about me and Polly. Maybe he was trying to do me a favor. Then again, maybe he was just trying to do me. I needed more female trouble like I needed another kidney stone or a subpoena. I decided to drive over to the long room and shoot pool with Jimmy one leg. See if he'd gone to the doctor like I'd been telling him. Instead, I made it over to Cliffhaven. The district used to have mansions. Now a lot of them have been chopped up into apartments or bulldozed to make way for newer high-rises. In some cases, the history had just been plowed under, leaving gaping pits and vacant lots, waiting for someone with enough dough, like the late Mr. Whitney, to erect another cement and glass monster. The neighborhood had been built on a granite and sandstone escarpment, riddled with smugglers' caves, it was said. Half sat up on a bluff. The rest was a nest of dwellings constructed around tunnels and cellars, bored into the rocks and serviced by steep, narrow stairs. Down below was a landfill spit, formerly home to Zagami's, a gangster-owned seafood restaurant that had been torched a couple of months before. The fire had swept across the parking lot into Funland. The place had been struggling before the blaze and had been shut down tight ever since. I pulled up at the cyclone fence and gazed at the wreck of the scenic railway, with a huge seahorse made of plywood and rows and rows of shattered light bulbs. You got the feeling that if you kept watching, you could see those broken bulbs fall down into the water, one by one. I took another look at the card and got a funny shock. The lettering seemed to have changed colors, and the stalk seemed to be a heavier weight. The address was the same, though. 4 Erie Street. Who has just their address on a business card? Unless it's something bent. Or gracefully curved. I sat in my car down by the closed-up gates to Funland, watching the trash drift between the shuttered ticket booths. A freighter passed by in the distance, probably full of electronic gear I couldn't afford anymore. I 
tried to remember how I'd spent the ten grand McKinnis had divvied me in for back in the dark times. But all I could bring to mind was a mammoth steel barbecue that Polly had nicknamed the Beast. Just before I left her to the lawn Nazis, I found there were mice living in it. I looked back down at the cart again. It was a hooker, I was pretty sure. It was trouble, I was certain. All the smells and feels of the old days came back. The girls appearing like hastily planted flowers. Runaways from Spokane. Rebel daughters from some main street in the Midwest. Strippers past their use-by date trying to hide their wrinkles. Then suddenly there'd be a new twilight blonde mink. With jackknife legs and marzipan boots. Eyes like bits of bashed-in mirror. I slipped the card in my pocket and turned on the ignition. Mondays are such damn lonely days. Their train and ended up at the depot. 
Smelling the red hots and wild Irish girls' breath reminded me again how easy it would be to slide into the eddy of their lives. One day I'd be at the counter talking curveballs with them over a beer and a shot. The next I'd be lined up for the veterans' breakfast at the Chat and Chew and whiling away the night in a wife beater in the lobby of the Zebulon Pike Hotel. It would just be one short stumble-bum step down to warming the pavement on first in Montana and sharing a bottle of Thunderbird with Hobo Nichols and El Presidente, wondering about a cot at the Salvation Army and who's going to get the DTs first. That's what can happen to men like me on their own. They lose their women in weed trimmers or leave them behind and they slip right off the radar of respectability and enter the lost world of the last Fandango. I've seen it happen many times before. I've smelled it happen. When you have pride and lose it forever, it leaves a scent in the air. People always end up on the wrong streets for reasons. They just don't realize they've wandered into a different city where everyone's a stranger. Twelve male rats were left with receptive females and allowed to copulate and ejaculate.
sexually active males were selected on the basis of their mating performance in three or four preliminary tests with receptive females. Males were housed individually and were maintained in the experimental room in which the light-dark cycle was controlled by an electric clock. Oh, the secret. 
Genevieve in a starfish blue summer dress and a French girl's wide-brimmed straw hat. We were strolling hand-in-hand through Funland, a warm, slow purple dusk with the lights of the rides twinkling. Young soldiers in uniform hugging their narrow-waisted girlfriends, heaving baseballs at towers of iron milk bottles, or flinging darts at a wall of breast-like balloons. Swing music from the dance hall, the scent of hot pretzels. She pointed to the Ferris wheel that looked like it was made of sugar candy, and then the crowd began to change. The couples and the peppermint ice cream based children wavered like silver gelatin ghosts. Their voices and laughter continued, but it seemed to come from a distance. Gradually, they began to fade, receding like sway handprints on stainless steel. She led me behind the skating rink to what appeared to be an old bathhouse, built out over the rocks where the seawall would later be. I heard the sad, faint harmony of the Andrew sisters singing, I'll be with you in apple blossom time, dwindling away with the ping and clank of the rides. Then we were inside the dank-smelling baths. The only illumination came from candles and hurricane lanterns. There were long copper troughs of trickling water, and a maze of square stone pools with steps cut into the side. Around the edges and all across the slate floor, ancient, naked men lounged like reptiles, and real reptiles skittered frill-necked things and iguanas, while rusted ladders descended into saltwater-smelling darkness and iron catwalks extended out of sight, their railings embellished with ultraviolet salamanders and irradiated geckos. From hidden chambers and platforms, and from the depths of the cement pits, there came sighs, as in an opium parlor. Genevieve's dress had evaporated. She was nude now except for black glass stiletto heels, and as she stepped between the withered reptile men, the more deformed the figures became. Skin scaled, limbs contracting, gills forming, misshapen heads of bass and sea turtles. Water flowed through bars in the wall into a series of pools. Chameleons dotted the stone floor. Faces hung like damp masks from hooks in the wall in the shape of hands. And in the center of the room was what looked like an operating table, positioned beneath the skylight. Take off your clothes, she commanded, and I found myself doing as she directed. Now lie down on the table on your back. I was seized with fear. The sheeted bench beside the operating tables laid out with glinting scalpels and surgical implements, and a single luxuriant peacock feather. What are you going to do to me? I demanded. Trust me, it's part of the healing, she said cryptically. It's the most intimate thing that's ever happened to you. I couldn't help myself. Intimacy with her was all I wanted. I lay down and looked up. The skylight was shaped like a human figure, radiant, like the reverse of a silhouette, an angel. I felt myself drawn up toward it, as if it were my own outline floating on the ceiling. My voice was lost in anxiousness, 
as I saw her hands move across the bench of blades. What was she going to do? The terror and the yearning to know was more than I could take. Instead of one of the scalpels, she picked up the peacock feather. You can't hurt me anymore Cause I'm dead You can't hurt me anymore Cause I'm dead If I can't have your heart If I can't have your heart Take your soul Take your soul If my dream had to end If my dream had to end Then let the nightmares roll Your
dismembered remains of an unidentified transsexual had been found at the bottom of the old grain terminal. Both a John and a Jane Doe. The corpse had been mangled from the fall into the encrusted machinery in the chute and had been in the water for a couple of days. I knew the cops who'd worked the scoop. I'd had beers with them in days gone by. Probably salivated over a few pole dancers with them too, if I could remember. I knew the painful jokes they would have made about a floater. The expressions on their faces as they'd try to keep the horror and dismay under wraps. And in what organ it would settle when they weren't looking. I knew so well the cold, bland matter-of-factness that would be painted over everything like shellac. And that special lonely sound of bad news that few people outside the job ever take notice of when the crime scene tape gets strung up and the wind hits it. I could hear a promiscuous gust coming in off the bay and strumming the tape around the grain terminal entrance. That ominous throbbing whirr is the real sound of trauma death. Not a gunshot or a scream or squealing tires. Not the crunch of metal or shattered glass. In the end, death sounds like a wind-whipped strip of taut-striped tape that finally snaps and flutters and gets stuck back up. But only for as long as someone like me cares. Until they find enough pieces of the misery that were left behind to think they know what happened. Then the strands come down, and there's just the wind again. Or people trying to rent a room, a liquor store reopening, sometimes a plastic flower cemented to a dented streetlight. There's a reason why violence rhymes with silence. Just for the night 
still no cure Wayward You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. <laughs>